Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And welcome to the Backstage Show. This week, on the Backstage Show, we're going to continue our discussion about musicals with our special guest, Mr. Greg Cassander. Welcome back, Greg. Thank you. Thanks for hanging around for a while on the sofa bed. (laughs) (laughs) I I gotta keep this old joke going as long as possible. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah, it's a chestnut. (laughs) Yes, there you go. So we're going to continue talking... In the original sense of the word. Yes. So we're going to continue talking with Greg about musicals this week, since he knows more about them than we do. Yes, we like to belittle our own intelligence about musicals, considering that we've never done any of them ourselves. Well, we've done some. <laughs> yeah. But kind of more in a supporting capacity, mostly. We, we've had Greg along to kind of fill in some of the his experience, because we admittedly don't have as much of our own. Not much. I, I have done only one musical since I've started doing community theater that I was in, and I didn't sing. Well, actually, I did sing. I wasn't supposed to sing. I got a non-singing <laughs> role. But I did end Made up singing, singing with the wrong. chorus. You well, couldn't I, help yourself. Well, it was everybody else was on stage singing with the chorus, and I felt kind of awkward just standing there because nobody else had auditioned for this non-singing role. So this role, I was not in any of like the chorus numbers per se. I did not have a song of my own. But like at the big ending, where like everybody's on stage and everybody's singing, I felt stupid not singing along, and I can carry a tune, but. Yeah. Okay. And I was going to mention the show, but of course it's out of my head again. It's Breaking Legs. Yeah, you always remember that. No, not Breaking <laughs> Legs. No. Breaking Legs is not the musical. Oh. Oh, no, no. Uh, City of Angels? City of Angels, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that yeah, was... Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm getting your stories mixed up. Because yes. we're talking about food shows. with the eating. Yeah. No. And I, I got the show mixed up. I was thinking it was the same show. No, different show. Okay. So, yeah, that was City of Angels that I, that I was in with a non-singing role, but... They gave me a little bit of musical experience. Like, I wasn't at any of the music rehearsals. I wasn't at any of that. And like I said, I just sang along at the end with the chorus because I felt stupid standing there and putting my arms out in a dramatic fashion without actually singing. If you could see me, I'm doing it now. But He's putting his arms out to yeah. the sides. He's not doing jazz hands. Jazz well, now hands. I am. Jazz but. hands. <laughs> anyway, uh, I You just reminded me, actually, that I did act in a musical in community theater, but I was uh-huh. sort of a fill-in player for a couple performances yes this i remember was, that well because i worked on that show as well yes you did for the love of god yes uh glenn stage managed that show the show in question is barnum and i was brought in to for i believe it was the last two performances I so what, what a, circus act did they two? get for two performances well yeah, they had I, nothing it was a fill-in that somebody yeah, could make two of the there performances. Were two guys who weren't able to make the last two shows mm-hmm. so i filled in to do their speaking roles I mean, they're, I guess they're part of the ensemble, but yeah. I, the only part I did was just their the, the speaking, speaking parts. So I thought I didn't have the to middle two weekends. Show. I don't know. Maybe you're right. It probably wasn't. I thought it was the end of the show. Yeah. I, I, that was, was the first, last, ago. and only show that I have stage managed. <laughs> <laughs> I will never do that again. For the love of God. Yes. That's just keep <laughs> saying that. Nobody knows what you're talking about, but that was just. I, I was downstairs. There were a lot of kids in this show, like teens yes, and whatnot. Yes, I do remember. And they this. were kind of loud. This was at Forge, and it's downstairs where you can pretty much hear if they're loud Everything. downstairs you can hear them upstairs and i just like whisper yell at them for the love of god would you please be quiet yeah that was not a fun experience for me <laughs> but anyway well i think given the circumstances it's 
probably understandable that you had to act that way or behave in that fashion. Yeah, I, well, I couldn't rein them in any with other kids. Way. I mean, I would imagine most stage management activities are not like that. N- probably not. No. Uh, that's about it. Other than mostly for me, at least technical work, doing helping out with running sound and some sound design for several me, shows. Me occasionally an audience. <laughs> what? Me just occasionally an audience. <laughs> And on the technical side, and Greg, you can certainly attest to this as well, the fact that you are competing with a large group of musicians, many of whom could be very loud, means you have to mic people usually. Yeah. Which is a load of fun for everybody involved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's kind of crazy sometimes. The, the one thing that, that always amazes me is how musical theater scores have really evolved over the last, I guess, 50 years because you know in the 30s there was no amplification and right. then you get to the late 50s you had microphones unidirectional microphones at the foot of the stage mm. so that you know we always had the challenge of hanging something above and then trying not to get the the clomping feet picked yeah. up yeah <laughs> and then starting in probably the late 70s definitely by the early 80s scores started being written specifically for microphones mm. so a good example, one thing that was really really an education for me, and it took kind of a long time for me to, to hit it, was um, rehearsing ragtime. Okay. And of course, that's a you know, 1999, 2000-ish era show. Mm-hmm. It, well, it didn't occur to me, we're rehearsing this score, which is a pretty epic score, as if there's no microphones. And there's just a lot of vocal strain just trying to rehearse it in that way. Yeah. And then... Luckily, the I don't know who made the decision, but someone made the decision that they were going to hand us microphones early. So we didn't yeah, have to wait yeah. until tech week. And then all of a sudden, it just hit that this score was specifically written Me- for microphones. Because sure. hmm. there were things that I could do with the music with a microphone I couldn't possibly do, and I was failing at without mm-hmm. a microphone. And, and you think it's, it's by error that the more recent musicals are just written with that. Yeah, they're time. they're written with that in mind. The, the, the audience audiences yeah. have an expectation of recording studio sound despite it being live, <laughs> and the microphones give you the engineering capacity to simulate recording studio <laughs> sounds from a live performance. And do you find that most or all community theaters at this point have that capability to some degree? Yeah, I still think that's an impossible ideal to try to reach. I mean. Well, your, sure. Your best bet is the hope that you can make it relatively equally audible throughout the house, that they get the important elements and can hear things. But remember rel- that most clearly. of these pieces are written for you know ten to twenty million dollar productions in New York and London. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the expectation of the audience is you're walking into a huge you know Titanic sized production. And you're not just going to be able to hear it, but you are going to hear specifically, you know, that little bit of a phlegm that's gurgling in the back of your throat <laughs> with a lush thing. orchestra. Yeah. I mean, the, the the ragtime revival, not many people saw it. I'm just happy that I saw it. But it brings to the engineering of, of musicals nowadays are, is pretty amazing. Um, the house that it was being performed in is not typically considered a musical house. It was, writ- it was built, you know, early 20th century four musicals of the era. Your pit mm. was only a few pieces. Right. Here they're doing a fully orchestrated 30-piece orchestra. There's right. no room for 30 pieces in the theater. And they did, I think, the most amazing technical job 
um, by splitting the orchestra up into two parts. So hmm. all of your treble instruments were live in front of you hmm. in the tiny pit. Meanwhile, all the brass and percussion were on the fifth floor of the oh office building goodness. above you. Wow. And everyone was being directed by way of LCD screens on the yeah. music stands. Oh, yeah. that is crazy. So that there's no lag because everyone is looking at the identical lag. Sure. Right. Oh, Weird. my God. I can't even imagine yeah. trying to pull that off. But the sound design in the house, in the theater, was spectacular because you had the full... Nobody... It's just too expensive to, to pay for them anymore, but... Mm. It was a really weird production in that they threw all their money, most of their money, at costuming and orchestra. Mm -hmm. So that when you looked at it, the set was very, very beautiful, but it wasn't high tech of any any measure. Mm -hmm. It could have been built in any era. But yet, when you were sitting in the audience, the sound quality was spectacular. I don't know how many speakers they had placed throughout an entire three-level theater. And, wow. and with the orchestra split, split up split up like that, you've got to be miking them. So yes, everyone everyone's been miking that sound yeah. and, uh. and the soundboards. I swear God, there had to be two for the size for the size of it. It had I to be two. I would have to believe that. Yeah, it was just spectacular. But you would never have done that in the '30s. Mm. That's it. Just didn't exist. And how do you take a show like that and put it into a community theater? Yeah, that's that's the question. Uh, well, do you? <laughs> well, the. the I mean, the reason why I saw the revival is because I was about to go into rehearsal for Ragtime mm -hmm. in a couple of months. And I'd only seen the original production, which was physically spectacular, but I didn't really like. I mean, the theater was too large. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the, uh, the actors were too tiny in comparison with the massive sets. Yeah. It's, the whole thing was just so bloated to mm -hmm. me that I didn't really get invested in it. Meanwhile, they, the revival decided to do the flip. They decided we're going to make it into the smallest full-size musical house we can fit it in mm -hmm. and we're going to take away a lot of the distractions and for me it was really gripping yeah. but the, but yet they kept the full size <laughs> orchestra, full orchestra. <laughs> so anyway so it was kind of overpowering. I ended mm -hmm. up doing you know eventually um, being cast in, in Steel Rivers production and they in some cases are lucky and not so lucky that they have um, their like mezzanine area sort of like on either end of the house mm -hmm. And they built out the mezzanine to have, I don't remember the number of pieces, probably 14 pieces. Okay. Which for community theater, 14 pieces that's, is that's a stretch. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that, you know, there was a concert harp there and, mm -hmm. you know, an oboe, it was, it was pretty amazing. So you have to scale it down, and, and that's the trick of taking one of these epic shows and trying to do it, at least on the amateur level, is do you have room for all these musicians? Right. And if you can get them... You know, how are you going to just, you know, get this working with yeah. that many people? I, I, th I would think with community theaters, there's just so many challenges to deal with that you're not necessarily dealing with on the professional level just because it's harder to get the orchestra. It's harder to get the talent. And then you have to have the space to fit the talent which not every community theater has. Well, in some cases, the theaters, I think, make it a little hard on themselves because someone has the idea that there's a hot property that must be done. Mm -hmm. And they don't really consider the limitations of the facility, the logistics. Yeah, right. Because I mean, if you look at if you look at any of the Disney shows, especially, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the Disney shows in general. Yeah, they they come as spectacles in New right. York, and then everyone's trying to figure out how to downscale all yeah, the spectacle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if that's all, if that's kind of the main thrust of it, then exactly to downscale that kind of yeah, takes it's away no a longer lot of a spectacle. Yeah. <laughs> so that leaves you, you know, and and to me, I'm, I know I'm really critical when it comes to to musicals, especially, 
that without the spectacle, sometimes I'm looking at probably the cracks in the script mm-hmm. that in New York, I was really just sort of overwhelmed by the physical presentation. Sure. That it really didn't jump out at me that there's anything possibly, you know, not perfect about it. I, I think that was a similar concern I had when Titanic started making the rounds because I had actually seen that in New York and that was a spectacle. I, the, the, that was that three level set that the whole thing was tilting. It's the entire ship and it was very, it was phenomenal to look at, but I don't remember like you're not coming out of there humming any songs or anything. And then when I saw that translated into a barley sheaf, which is a tiny, tiny space. And you're talking about, what was that, 20 people in that show? We had 40. 40 people in that show. Plus the the six or eight musicians in the middle of the stage. Right. So that's about half the size of the audience practically there. (laughs) But that was something that, to my surprise, they pulled off and they did a very good job of that. Well, you did a very good job of that. You were in that show. But that's the kind of thing that when I see that, coming to a community theater I, I'm always wondering how are they going to pull off a Broadway musical in an 80 to 120 seat house yeah I, I give Doug a ton of credit on that as director yeah. because you know behind stage was completely choreographed the only way that mm-hmm. the show could have been done on that in that space and a lot of thought apparently very visibly was made on it to make sure that that didn't pause because yeah. that show has no room for scene changes mm. yeah. so they were holding bays backstage, and we were basically staged. Now, there wasn't an official rule, but sort of like in our minds, no one stands still for more than one minute because wow. everything had to keep everything on creeping keep moving, yep. so something else could just take its place. Hmm. But you didn't immediately leave stage at any time. At least I didn't. So it was a matter of, okay, exit stage left, and then go into my holding bay, mm-hmm. and then the next scene is three or four lines in. As soon as that third line, then I could go down downstairs to the green room. Yeah. So... You know, with multiple waiting spaces, we had large numbers of people constantly being in holding bays and then waiting to actually make their their descent downstairs into the green room. It just sounds like overall musicals have so many more moving parts to keep track of that the challenge is, to me, overwhelming. You also just have to kind of probably have more bodies involved and they can get in each other's way. Yeah. You know, if you are doing scene changes, you usually need probably a lot of people to help out on that. And there Mm -hmm. aren't very many plays, per se, that have 10 and 12 locations that flip back and forth between 12 locations. Yep. Whereas musicals, that's that's pretty much that's exactly exactly what the the shows do. I mean, if you look at a a My Fair Lady, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know the actual numbers of locations, but you consider that there are always these scenes outside of the Higgins studio. Mm Mm-hmm. So, but the thing is, once you leave that location, somebody has to bring that location back mm-hmm. over and yeah, over yeah. and over again. So you got a lot of these flats on wheels. You've got you mm-hmm. know traveling music kind of over covering over top of it in a lot of cases. I, I think I've done a decent number of non-musicals that have multiple sets. Probably not quite as many as that, but I mean, when you look at a Dracula, Treasure Island, that kind of thing, definitely had like at least a dozen locations and that sort of thing. But I'm not dealing with where do you put the orchestra during this? Yeah. How do you get the choreography flowing in and out of these things? Most of the times that I'm dealing with it, it's like, okay, we're done with this scene. We stop. We do our scene change. We move on. Whereas musicals frequently have a lot more flow, particularly the newer ones, right? Where well, even, there's even, not really scene breaks. Even, even the old shows mm-hmm. have a lot of movement. And that's why they have composing tricks or writing tricks like the in one number. Okay. In one numbers is one or two people. 
in front of a curtain, in front of a, a, mm-hmm. a piece of scenery. Yeah. Right. And the only reason why that song exists is because it's covering a change. massive costume. Treasure or Island scene had that sort of thing. Treasure Island had these little bits that were played in front of the curtain where you would close the curtain because we did put up a curtain for that because the, that was at Barley Sheep, which doesn't have a uh, set curtain. But we had a proscenium where we closed the curtain and there was a scene in front of that while the scene was changing behind it. Pay no attention to the scene change behind the curtain. Basically, yeah. It's basically, yeah, yeah. That's basically what mm-hmm. it is. Um, we back, really, to, uh, back to a story that I read about Titanic on Broadway. Yeah. They had one of the major you know, scenes they were trying to set get the, the set ready for the finale to Act 1, which was crazy shifting panels so you reveal cinematic scenes. Right. Well, it turns out you know, they were doing whatever singing was happening in front of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, lo and behold, someone realized that they could hear all of the motors because the irony is that set was actually motivated by ship making motors. Okay. <laughs> I mean, irony, we're doing, we have a fake ship on stage and we're moving it by way of ship building motors. <laughs> yeah. Hey. But it turns out they were able to hear all the mechanics backstage. Mm-hmm. Turns out Maura Yeston, who's one of the few composers of Broadway shows who actually does his own orchestrations or at least participates in his orchestrations. Um, on the fly, just told, I think it was Jonathan Tunick was the, uh, probably, I don't know who, I don't remember who it was who did the orchestration. He said, all right, next rehearsal, we're changing the key to X, Y, Z. And they're like, well, why are you changing the, 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 the key of that song on such late notice? And he says, oh, didn't you realize the motor is humming in G? If we have, <laughs> if we have the song in the new key, it's going to sound like it's part of the orchestration. Oh, that's wow. amazing. See, that's a lot of thought that just... I, I'm sure to him it was just like, oh, of course. But to other people... Brilliant! Like, yeah, really. <laughs> that's I mean, the kind of thing you, know, you get in a musical because you know, you've know you got some massive thing happening mm-hmm. on stage. Yeah, you're really uh, breaking down the artifice of the magic of musicals. <laughs> <laughs> All these uh, logistical considerations that have to be brought to bear or the crazy costume changes where you're, yeah well where, that's a whole other thing well you're mm-hmm. wearing literally four layers of clothing because yeah. the easiest way to do it is continually rip things off oh yeah yeah wow i mean it happens in stage uh, non-musicals sometimes too but it's almost like a given for especially the lead roles in musicals especially probably mm-hmm. for women honestly just because maybe the well, well I've, I've got even for men sometimes i was sometimes yeah i was in and um depending the red on the type Mill, of costumes involved and in no this. one ever performs the red mill it's one of the very early operettas that are really critical in the the evolution of operetta into musical theater and mm. um, it's almost lost to history but it was uh dug up and rewritten a couple of years ago but at the end of the show my character was like the bugs bunny character i mean <laughs> literally the show is written for the two comedians who created the vaudeville act is it montgomery and stone Okay. And their comedy is often referenced in, in vaudeville acts going forward. So for me, it was a lot of fun because I got to do Bugs Bunny humor because <laughs> it was the original comedy team's routines. Mm-hmm. But I had, to, I had to wear this ridiculous Mad Hatter outfit with a huge top hat that's oversized, padded shoulders, goofy stuff. But right, so right at the end of the show, I had, I think it was 12 measures to get out of this complete costume and into a tuxedo <laughs> and... Dutch clogs because the show ends on a Dutch clog number. Of course. course. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Of course. So, um, I ran off stage. Naturally. And, and, you know, I had the full pit crew just waiting for every piece of clothes I have on there. And there's no way you can slow down the transition into the big end number because 
there were two leading men in that show because Montgomery and Stone were the the comedians it was written for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So luckily, the other guy is out there doing whatever he's doing, and I'm just sweating like a pig, just getting <laughs> out of stuff and into a tux with with clogs. Of course, as you do. As you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just. I think there's more of a propensity to have a lot more of that typically in the, a musical. The scene changes, the costume, the costume changes. changes. Why do you think that is, that there's so many more locations and more costume changes and just more things like that? Because it seems like you're already dealing with extra complication with music and choreography, so why not have a unit set for a musical? Um, I think probably it has a lot to do with the fact that musical theater kind of fits uncomfortably between the two extremes of cinema and opera. Okay. Opera is infamous for their scenery. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, my best friend, Jerry, for a couple of years was a supernumerary at the, oh gosh, I guess it was New York Opera. Mm-hmm. Basically, you're not allowed to speak. You are living scenery. That's how much scenery they have. People are considered scenery. Wow. Uh <laughs> So, I mean, the, the story is from him about how, you know, he was in the, he was a supernumerary in the War and Peace opera that was on social media because the set was built to be the top of planet Earth and they had live horses that were sliding off into the, not them, but people riding them sliding off into the pit. Oh, goodness. But anyway, but the thing is, like, then magically that had to scoot away somehow magically to present a whole new scenic design for mm-hmm. the next act. So that sets a precedent that I'm singing... There's lots of scenery. Yeah. And then more recently, probably starting in the 70s, um, people wanted uh, or gravitated toward having seamless storytelling. So things are not allowed to stop for scene changes. Hmm. Okay. So a good example of, of a completely seamless score is Sondheim's Passion. It's got multiple locations. It wasn't a complicated set, but it had a lot of engineering required because the whole description of the score is it's a symphony. It starts and then it ends. There's no breaking it. Right. So all of the mechanics of all these different scenes have to keep moving. But it was inspired by an Italian film because the film is a really intimate, almost claustrophobic love story. Hmm. And they wanted to reproduce the feeling of that story on a stage. That's got to be a challenging thing to do regardless. And, and, and they succeeded, you know, and, and I always find it sort of amazing that for a lot of productions that require high technology to get it done, some of these shows, like that one, didn't use high tech, but they mm-hmm. use a lot of engineering with low tech to, to keep it moving. Yeah. What you were saying earlier about the kind of a comparison to opera, I guess, maybe seems like, at least in my mind, is perhaps a trend of kind of what you were describing a little bit with the last episode where... You know, in your sort of golden age types of shows, there were you know, distinct musical numbers popping up throughout. But this sort of a more flowing format kind of makes me think more of operatic. Oh, and, and you know, operas, I'm not an opera aficionado, but um, it's kind of weird to, for me as a non-opera fan to see the difference in the traditional 19th and 18th century operas and then switch over to watch, you know, the... 1990s adaptation of Streetcar Named Desire in Hmm. opera terms Hmm. because to me that stole a lot of the 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 characteristics of a musical in the presentation didn't sound like a musical Hmm. but it certainly looked and kind of felt like one with Hmm. the scenery and how it was directed and and it was continuously pushing ahead 
Well, and then you've also got those musicals that essentially are operas, like a like a Les Mis, where they they just don't stop singing. Yeah, the three the three songs. Yeah, and that's just I, I don't know. Th- those are the ones that bother me more. Uh, Les Mis, uh, Miss Saigon is there? No, Miss Saigon's pretty much it's like ninety eight percent. There's only a mm-hmm. few lines of dialogue. Yeah, in there. and that's the sort of thing that just to me that is a, almost a modern opera, where. Nothing stops. Everything is flowing. Nobody stops singing. And it's hard for me to, I guess, suspend my disbelief. It's it's hard enough, you know, when Jim was what Jim was saying in the last episode where somebody suddenly breaks out into song to suspend your disbelief there. But when they don't stop singing at all, that's where I start to have problems with it. Uh, but yeah, depending on your preference, I guess, it, it either you're either all in with it mm-hmm. or you're you're not getting it at all i don't know it's kind of a weird thing where if it's going in and out mm-hmm. then it almost seems a little more noticeable or yeah i, I can, I can me, see I that guess. if you kind of go all into it i almost liken liken it to watching maybe a foreign language film where you know if you're not familiar with the language you're still kind of going along with it you you follow it you, you kind of absorb yourself into the presentation of it music is its own language yes yeah kind but of in a way that was you know that was right now a trend yeah there isn't much of that being composed now because kind of we've been there we've done that mm-hmm. hi glenn here sorry to interrupt but we've just got so much great material that we decided to cut things off here and we'll conclude next week Meantime, if you have any comments, questions, episode ideas, or whatever, as always, you can contact us by visiting our website, backstage.link, and clicking on Contact the Show. You can also leave us a voicemail or a text message at 267-225-8869. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe if you haven't already, leave us a review, and tell a friend about us. Again, next week on The Backstage Show, we'll be continuing Musicals 101 with Greg Cassander, Next week's episode will be a little bit shorter with that, so Jim and I will sum things up at the end. Meantime, you can find us backstage. So, oh, are we starting? Yes. Uh, whatever. We're laughing about that because we realized how choreographed it has been. Well, we're not going to put that in. Outtake. Outtake. Okay, well, that's going to sound <laughs> awkward to have you cut me off rudely like that. Wow. Mommy and Daddy are arguing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Haas, where are we going? All right, like, I don't know. <laughs> and out. Peace out, bitches.